You're listening to the Sioux Falls Startup Stories Podcast. All right, welcome everybody. Uh, I have a little unscheduled episode this time around. So we actually finished, officially finished season two a couple weeks ago. Uh, and I wrapped up with Trevor Nash Keller, but man, it was a great season. But this uh, episode I've actually had sitting on my computer for a while. I've just never, I don't know, just never released it. So what we're going to talk about is actually uh, failure in kind of a big way. So I don't mean for this episode to be depressing, um, but if you've listened to my podcast for a little bit, you know that failure is something that I touch on with almost everybody I can. I always ask them, have you experienced failure? What has been your experience with failure? How did you recover from it? Um, and this episode, I recorded it over actually a year ago. And this was my response. Well, if I'm, if I'm really being honest, this was my therapy to a business that I had shut down just a few weeks prior. So someone in the Sioux Falls uh, or for, in the Startup Sioux Falls Facebook group had just randomly asked about people that, that had started a business and failed. And so I hit up a few folks in the comments to share their stories on the podcast. And while I had some great conversations and I got to meet some cool people, a lot of them just weren't willing to maybe share their public their, their story um, real publicly, which is totally fine. Like, I get it. Trust me. I'm not ready to share my own story publicly. But I couldn't believe how many people there were that had failure stories and how that in the end they didn't let it define them, that they were able to overcome, even even though it was painful and it, and it kind of sucked in the time. So thankfully, uh, a guy named Ross Wickman, uh, he came in and he shared his story about a really cool business idea that he had. Uh, he actually launched this business with a dream. It was going to be huge. Um, it, it was really innovative. It was really fun. He had this cool new website uh, slash app idea. And it was cool because he was going to be able to use his development skills to build it. Uh, he knew it was going to be big, but that's not how things always pan out sometimes. Uh, one more thing before we get going in this. My setup for this recording uh, a year ago wasn't all that great, so the audio is a little subpar, but get over it because this story is absolutely worth hearing. All right, so as we dive into Ross's story, I always start my podcast interviews with getting to know my guests, especially the tech people. I really like to, to know how they got into it, where they learned, um, what they did to, to get in the tech, because I'm kind of in tech. I build websites. Um, and Ross actually got into websites and writing code at a, at a pretty early age, which is fairly common. Uh, but Ross's, Ross's methods, they weren't exactly conventional and maybe slightly illegal. I guess I got a computer science background. Been doing computers and websites since I was basically 12, 13 years old. My first website, I actually stole um, code from the Internet Gaming Network's website, built my own Nintendo 64 cheat codes website based off of that. So that's how I taught myself HTML. Sold the images, stole the backend code and all the, the cheats for all the fun games that my friends were playing with when we were in middle school. And then I just directed everybody at school to my cheat code site instead of IGN. Um, and that's just kind of where it started. So I've always been building websites is really something that I've been really interested in. Um, and then it kind of evolved from there. I've just like late high school, early college, I realized that I could probably make some money doing that. Uh, so I did like odd jobs all through high school, but between high school and college, I kind of stopped doing the odd jobs and I just kind of did sole proprietorship, doing um, websites for 
Um, there was a McCook County um, growth development organization. I can't really remember what the, <laughs> the organization was called, but my principal led me down to the point of contact and basically wanted me, they wanted me to do everything correctly. So I got a sales tax license with the state. It was kind of an it was internship, but it was paid and not so much. Um, but it was good because I was still live in my parents' basement. Well, it's good to hear that Ross eventually got legal. I can only assume that he moved out of his parents' basement and stopped stealing code from other websites, but I don't know. I guess I didn't ask. But after Ross had graduated with a computer science degree, he, he was realizing how much opportunity there was in tech and how much opportunity he might have missed. Next thing you know, you got like Facebook and Twitter in 2006, 2007. And while I'm going to school at USD for computer science, I'm always trying to fiddle and build stuff. Um, but I never really quite connected. So I graduate college, still got the entrepreneurial mind, trying to think of different ideas left and right. And finally, landed on something when I was on a trip back from the USD Air Force football game in 2011, August 2011. Um, I'm Air National Guard. So Air Force near and dear to my heart, as well as graduate from USD. So that was quite a fun game to go to. I went with about five other friends and we were just, we took three cars because we were with friends from the Denver area as well. So it wasn't just all of us in one car. And it was a cluster while we were there. People were on the other side of the stadium, the wrong side of the stadium, didn't know where everybody was driving down from Denver to Colorado Springs. Um, didn't know where they were on the interstate, calling, texting back and forth. And the entire experience, kind of led me down a path of there should be an app for this. I should be able to just look at an app on my phone and see at any given time where everybody is around the stadium. Like as long as they had that on, on their phone, I could see exactly where they were standing, sitting, doing whatever, moving. And that's where my first like true website, web application, mobile app was built. What Ross had discovered was a problem. Anyone looking for opportunity in business is looking for problems. And then they find a way to solve it. This is historically the way innovation works. This is why we have self-driving cars and smartphones connected to the internet. And this is even why internet was born. It was born out of the problem and the necessity of needing to share information faster and better and more secure. And Ross had found the problem, and he thinks he has a way to solve it through a new program called ClickFinder. It was a social mobile sharing application that I really dove into. And it worked from the aspect that you could share your location with me. You could create a group of friends and share your location with them for a specific period of time and it would expire. Um, and for the most part, it did everything I was supposed to do, but it was really clunky. It was supposed to be a proof of concept. And it was at the time where native mobile applications were pretty much the only things working on phones. Hybrid was starting to be like a cool idea, like, oh, be able to build web applications, but package them in an app for all platforms. So that was the direction we went, just to kind of go with proof of concept, but it just didn't work very quickly. So Ross keeps saying we. Building a business, especially one with big, audacious goals, Doing that alone can be super challenging as it is. You're, you're, you're forced with making all the decisions, I mean, every little thing. And then on top of that, you're forced to execute on all those decisions, every little thing. 
But Ross had a cousin who was into business and marketing. He had an entrepreneurial mindset. So Ross brought him in the loop and they set off to build ClickFinder together. So I was doing all the coding. He was doing all the like market research and trying to reach out to different people and create some sort of campaign to get users into our application. The problem was while we were doing that the entire time, uh, I was building kind of basically what everybody in the startup space was talking about, minimally viable product from the beginning, right? So the least amount of effort to build something that could at least get the idea out there. That still took a lot of my time. Late nights, probably an extra 40 hours a week, evenings and weekends, just trying to like build a web application that did everything and then package it for the phone. Were you working full time at the at this time too? Like yeah, this was your side gig. This was a side gig. Working working full time as a network administrator, forty hours a week, and basically trying to cram in not early in the morning, but late in the evenings because I worked ten hour days. So I had Mondays off to to really focus an entire eight hours basically on programming. Aside from doing doctor's appointments and house chores, I was grinding trying to build this web application that could eventually port to a mobile application, even if it was a native mobile application. But that took a lot, a lot of time. And the entire time we were thinking to ourselves, we didn't want to share this with anybody. We didn't want, we told all of our friends we were working on something cool. We we're kind of hinting at what it did and trying to get some feedback, but we didn't want to spill the beans, which well, that was my first total failure. We worked on this thing for six months probably before we really told anybody what it was actually going to do. I want to stop here for a minute and address something really, really important that Ross just said. We didn't want to tell anyone about it, and that was my first big failure. Now, I've been guilty of this too, and I've met so many entrepreneurs in the startup space that that tell me that they're working on something game-changing, but they'll never share what it is. Now, there are certain times and certain places and things that you might not want to share, like proprietary information of, you know, the custom formulas or recipes that you're working on, new invention designs, patent designs before they're ready for the world. But by and large, your idea probably isn't that unique or new. And if you're really confident in your abilities to get it done and do it well, then you have to get your idea into the marketplace early. Like Ross said, it's a failure not to. We worked on this thing for six months probably before we really told anybody what it was actually going to do. And when we finally told people, they're like, why the hell would I want to share my location with anybody? Why would I want to share my location with you so you know where I was? So then you spend the next 30 minutes arguing with them about the benefits of it. Like, oh, you don't want to text and drive. So if you're going to share with your family member that, for instance, you're driving to the cities to meet somebody in Minneapolis. Instead of texting them back and forth, they can just see where you are, get your estimated ETA, things like that. And they're like, no, that, I mean, no one's done that up to now. But at the time, people were doing it. There was an application that Google had, it was called Google Latitude, that basically did exactly what we wanted to. Um, This was right around the time that Find My Friends on the iPhone was coming out. So we were competing with those things, but at the same time, they weren't widespread and they didn't let you do like, we called them clicks. So the application was ClickFinder. You couldn't create little clicks of people, for instance, strictly family or strictly college friends or strictly the people that you're going on some trip with. Maybe you have a caravan of four different cars or a motorcade of four different cars where you wanted to see where they all were. They might, might all be within an hour range on the interstate. You could create those groups of people. None of these other applications had that. So the ability to, to create and share your location 
with who you want, when you want, and how you want. Right. In, in sort of a selective manner. Exactly. Versus, hey, this is me, this is where I am. Yep. Snapchat at the time didn't exist, but it's almost like an expiring notification. Like you, at any given time, can just disappear off of the map. It's not like you don't allow somebody to have constant access to your to your location. It's like, I want to share my location with you for an hour, so I do that. And then they can see where you're at. So you can, at the time, you could either turn it on to everybody who's in your friends list, or you could basically share it for a specific period of time to a specific group of people. As Ross shares the details of ClickFinder, I'm thinking in my head, this isn't that bad of an idea. I can see its utility, but I can also understand the feedback they're getting. Why would I want to do this? This isn't really a problem, at least not for most people. And if it is a problem, Ross had an uphill battle of trying to convince people that this is a problem and that this would solve it. And again, no one really cared about that. No one really wanted that at all. Um, so we fought with that for a really long time. We went down to, at the time, my business partner and cousin was in Kansas City. Um, so we went down to Kansas City and we tried to kind of market it at events down at bars and talk to people. We bought a lot of drinks off and on. And really, we got a couple users. We got a user base of close to 200 people. So, um, so you did get an MVP built then? We did. Yeah. Yeah, we got an MVP built. We got people into it. Again, it was very clunky. It was hideous. Um, <laughs> not a designer. I mean... You're from a web development standpoint, you understand like looking the way something looks and the way something works, two completely different mindsets. Um, so the back end was fairly robust. It did exactly what it was supposed to do, everything that we wanted it to do, but we couldn't get people to use it. They logged into it, looked at the database, no one was sharing their location for any duration of time. But there was no really good reason for the users to get back into the application. Um, so our minimally viable product was should have had something more of a gamification aspect, more of an actual social sharing, um, but got very discouraged early on and just tabled it. Just kind of gave up, um, got distracted by another idea, which we could build off of basically all the foundation and the backend code that I built off of ClickFinder. And it just kind of it, it fizzled out. So after an entire year of working hard to build and create and test and build and then eventually launch their app, they tabled it. They just weren't getting the traction they needed. They had new iterations and new ideas that they could work on that would utilize a lot of the existing framework. But ClickFinder, for all intents and purposes, this thing just wasn't going anywhere. But yeah, after about a year, it was, for the most part... What do we do with this? Let it sit for a little while. We knew at the time that it wasn't going anywhere. Pretty much a failure. There was apps like Banjo and Glimpse at the time doing exactly what we were doing. Um, what really kind of was the nail in the coffin was Facebook did nearby friends. So they already had a huge momentum. All you had to do is flip one toggle on the application and you could do pretty much the exact same thing. The, the circles and the expiration of time wasn't there. You had to manually go back in and turn off your sharing. But we just like, well, if they're doing this, it would be a matter of time until they add these features that we're already doing. I remember when this feature came out in Facebook Messenger. When the update released, the default feature for location sharing was on. And it was annoying and creepy as hell. Just walking through the mall or downtown somewhere, you'd suddenly get this notification on your phone that so-and-so is nearby. And then they would get the same notification about you. I didn't want that. So it's clear that, that Ross was on to something. 
the ability to, to choose your group or friends and to securely share your location and your information, how and with whom that you were choosing, it was on the cusp of being a thing. And whenever opportunity, opportunists spot the problem and then we find the solution and then we begin building, we put on these rose-colored glasses. The excitement is high. This is the project. This is going to be it. It's going to be the next Facebook. And for Ross, it was going to change how we share location data with each other. It was going to be the next big thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we thought we, we, were, we were, I don't know, arrogance probably is the right word, but we thought like we were going to be the next Facebook. Like this was it, you know, you, you, like back in 2011 when these things were just blowing up like weeds, like they were popping up all over. Highlight, I can't even, Sonar, there were just so many apps that were similar. It's just like, why? We're going to do one of these. We're going to be just like this or better than most of them. And about a couple months after it, you start getting more and more discouraged. There's no traction whatsoever. And you just feel like beat down. You're just like, what did I do wrong? You know? And then you start thinking, well, it's our location. You know, you're researching like, what would it cost to go out to Silicon Valley for two weeks to just walk around like everybody else is doing and try to bump shoulders with somebody who's got some money or is the right person to talk to? You, you just start going... You get in desperate mode and trying to figure out like what can you do with all of this work and this effort that you put in because it's just kind of really a big heaping pile of crap because no one's using it. Oofta. This is a sore spot, at least for me. Listening to Ross talk about being in desperate mode and the lies that creep into our head about our personal faults and what we can grab at desperately to just make things pay off. It's really hard. And it's a really big thing to just let go of. You put all that effort in, all that time for not a penny. And actually at the, at the time, it's costing us about $50 a month in hosting costs, which isn't a lot. You know, it's, I mean, a lot of people's hobbies cost more than that. But you, you, the whole sunk cost fallacy is, is a thing. Like $50 a month isn't a lot, but when you're not making anything and you don't have venture capital or anything to like really soup it up and put some good resources behind it to make it work better you just you're just wasting it and you just want to do anything you can to recoup at least what you put into it right and there's no way you'll ever recoup the, the time like not actually sweating well sometimes you might be sweating at the keyboard program in your rear off but you know you're just trying to figure out do whatever you can to recoup the effort that you put into it so Ross and his cousin tabled ClickFinder, but they weren't down for the count yet. They had a platform, they had a framework of code, so they began thinking, what's the next idea? What else can we use? They came up with Fangram. Now, Ross tells me that this is basically Instagram, but just for sports. It had some unique features uh, specific to sports and sports users. And they tried to learn from their mistakes from before. They got user feedback early. They went out and talked to people. They, they built their platform a little bit better. It was nicer. They iterated faster. And it was starting to work. They were getting new users every day and from different areas of the country. They even got their idea uh, in a startup program, which is now known as the, the Zeal Center for Entrepreneurship. The excitement was really on the cusp of bursting until one day... Ross stumbled upon an app that was already doing the exact same thing. So FanCred did exactly what we did. And the only reason why I came across it was an article in one of my, my Feedly feeds basically said FanCred or sports sharing application gets $2 million in funding. And you're just like, what the hell? Like, 
how how do we get two million dollars in funding? And you just your wind is sucked out of your sails, just like that. You put in all this effort again, and you try to build something that had merit, and you're just totally discouraged at that point. And from a persistence standpoint and perseverance, you want to do everything you can to keep the thing alive, but you just like, how do we compete with that? You go and you look at their website. They very clearly have a team of at least six to seven people. Their website looks great. Um, it's actually a native application. It's not an MVC, but they just come completely out of nowhere, coincidentally around the same time that you were working on your application. And all you can think to yourself is, man, we should have kept it quiet. We should have kept it quiet. They stole our idea. Like we know that wasn't the actual case, but that's how you feel. It's like, how could we have done this different? So this was a massive blow to the team. Talk about a punch in the gut and the wind out of your sails. The business that's actually feeling like it's starting to get traction. I mean, people are signing up from all parts of the country. You're getting new users and it's now suddenly at risk of being drowned by a newly funded app doing the same thing as you. Talk about a killer. But Ross and his cousin's app, it was up and running. Went out of their sales. They just kind of let things go for a bit. Probably in Fangram for about two years, actually. Wow. Off and on. Um, I mean, basically, it sat up and ran. And when I found the time, I mean, you start getting, at the discouragement mark, you stop putting in as much effort nights and weekends. You're just like, uh, you go and you poke around, make a couple changes to code, maybe add a feature, make something's work, make sure something's working. But you just you don't want to put any more effort into it until you actually get that next step. You go up to the next ladder rung, but we just kind of plateaued and stuck there. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that the discouragement just kind of made us lazy. Um, and another part of it was we thought one of those two, after putting in a year or almost two years of effort, would have amounted to something. But it hadn't. Um, in retrospect, we probably should have gave up a little bit sooner on both of them, or we should have done the complete opposite, really dug in and just push forward. Because you see that more and more. You see like it takes three or four years for something to actually really pick up. And those are some of the most frustrating lessons that I actually learned from it because now we basically shut down Fangram right before I got engaged um, and I realized like my priorities started changing. 40 hours of work week, I was just like, you know what? Everything I'm doing for my full-time job, everything's looking good. Is it really worth making myself feel like this? Is it really worth putting in all this extra effort and really trying to build something? and cause all the stress in my life, or should I just take a break for a little while? I'm going through a, a new stage in my life. Um, I'm gonna focus on some other things, and my partner and I basically just kind of shut down our app building business. Well, I certainly have an appreciation for Ross's position here. I mean, he's been working on this for over three years, trying to get something to take off, and, and going into the idea with, this is gonna be the next big thing, but seemingly every time he's just getting kicked down. Took all of our lessons learned and we're going to wait. We always talked about doing something different together, giving a couple of years. And now for the most part, five years have gone by and we haven't really done anything together. I've been very iffy on starting anything myself other than just kind of 
playing around with some ideas that I've had, but I don't want to commit to anything. I don't want to share anything with anybody because I don't want anybody to ask me about it and then have yet another thing that I failed at. Gun shy. That's the technical term for what this is. And yes, it's a real thing in the startup world too. Gunshy is the term used when you've tried something for the first time and maybe it didn't work out or you've gotten hurt, like riding a horse or, or falling off a bike. It's just not easy to get back up and try it again. And Ross has already tried it again. But if that thing isn't necessary to survive, it's pretty easy to put it off to the side, at least for a while and maybe even forever. But once again, Ross is faced with having to let something go. But this time, it's bigger. He's not just shutting down the idea. He's shutting down the entire business that him and his cousin had created. <laughs> well, it is because between ClickFinder and Fangram and doing the startup accelerator, the startup boot camp, we actually formed an LLC. Like it was very simple to do. We just wanted to protect ourselves. I mean, we were putting users email and location information in these applications. You never know, like somehow our crappy website gets breached or something like, so we put that in. So we formalized it. And then when you get to the end of it and you're like, well, we have this business name, we have this business entity and we're building apps. Like it was just kind of like closing up shop and it was very discouraging yet again. Like you, you make the decision to kind of close things down you close your joint checking account for funneling in the money. It was a little bit of relief because you're just like, oh, I can finally live and get my nights and weekends back. I can finally stop saying no to my friends on the weekends because I'm, I'm coding on something. But at the same time, for me specifically, you just feel like you're built for something more. I felt personally that I should have figured it out by now. Like I felt like I was smarter than this. I felt like I didn't need to be closing this down. I can figure this out. Um, but I just, I settled into, I kept telling my, myself this story that you failed twice at this. Like obviously this isn't for you. At least this genre or this category of business or web application, this just isn't it for you. So even though I didn't want to tell myself that, it was real difficult to swallow because, again, I felt like I was better than this. Uh, I thought I could figure it out on my own. It was it was difficult. But you just try to, I don't know, I tried to rationalize it. I kept telling myself I'm at a certain point in my life where I'm in this season where I can always come back to this stuff. i always going to have ideas. Just take a break, reset, and let something come to you. Don't force it. So... It was a relief, but at the same time, it was very, very disappointing. Yeah, this is the part that makes failure suck. It makes failure hard to overcome. And in, it's a relief in some ways, but so often it just creates this doubt and this lack of self-confidence. It's really something that can take a, a toll on a person emotionally and physically. While Ross's priorities have changed, he's still got that itch to build something, though. Guys like Ross, they're always just looking for problems and ways that they can solve them. Ideas just, they just come and they run through his head. Oh, yeah, there's there's a ton of ideas, and that's really the, the sickening part. So, yeah, seasons changed, and at the time, like, yeah, I packed it in, but I knew that there was always going to be something. I mean, I went through a transition, got engaged very quickly, planned the wedding, got married, had some really crazy stuff happen in my life around the same time. 
every time I tried to start getting back into it, just for myself. No offense to my, my cousin and business partner at the time, but it was really hard being responsible to and for somebody else where I wanted to figure something out solo. Like I wanted to do something, be a solo entrepreneur or build a business myself, lifestyle business or something. But everything, like I had a foot in two boats, like or foot in each boat. Like I just wanted to go one direction and run off, but I knew the time commitment it would take. And then I wanted to actually like stay and work on being a good husband, building a family, all those other things and cleaning up the stuff that happened during this time frame. But finally, when it's all these things that were going on kept telling me like now is not the time to start. Like every time I started, I kept getting a sign that basically like, hey, you still are recovering from all this other stuff. Don't start. But the entire time, like you're just itching to do something that entrepreneurial mind, you got this itch to just build something or, or work on something. So taking the whole concept of not being responsible to or for anybody else doing something on my own, I've wanted to build something where I can help people do better with technology one way or another. That's where the podcast Technically Living came from. And that's everything that I've been working on in the process. But all the while I know like it's being forced. Like I want to do something new. I learned all of these lessons and I keep going back to like resetting. Always wanting to do something new and then thinking for a little bit and getting to that basically that tip at the edge where a light breeze would push me over, but I always get the thought, like, I remember what happened a couple years ago. I'm just like, don't have any confidence in myself, don't want to step off the ledge and actually start working on something just to have it close up shop again. Like I've lost, I've ran out of a lot of steam, but I have this constant drive that eats at me every single day. And I have to keep telling myself, like, just focus on what you're doing from a life standpoint. Wait till you're out of this season of kids and family, busy time. Um, always be time for this later. So I'm battling and I'm struggling that right now. Like these bruises or these wounds like haven't healed from a failure standpoint. But I know I can or I want to, or both, build something to help people um, build better business with technology or the cloud, things like that. So it's led me to how can I mold my current day job and my, not necessarily passions, because that's not the right thing to do, but what I'm most interested in and where I feel like I can have the most impact into basically that personal lifestyle business. So that's what I'm working on right now. So Ross is spending his time building a family and being a dad, being a husband and just staying focused and prioritized on what's in front of him now. Ross also has a great job working in cloud architecture. I'm not 100% sure what this really means or exactly what he does, but I know it's an impactful job and he finds a lot of meaning in it. But I asked Ross what advice he has and what lessons he's learned from his experience. I didn't realize this at the time when I was doing it, but now I can't say don't start out on something without this in mind, but do whatever you're doing that, and don't waste the effort. Like whatever you're doing, think about this for a second on how it could impact or help you in the future. If what you're doing has an expiration to it um, or a piece of what you're doing has an expiration to it, maybe reconsider doing that and find a way to shift it just a little bit so you can have benefit from it in the future. So everything that I did from a programming standpoint, a lot of that code's reusable. 
all of that self-taught education not lost. Um, I have it all saved and I can use it again to help me get to the point of failure a lot quicker next time. So the things that I learned the most is build relationships early and often, tell your story early and often, hide nothing from nobody. Um, basically execution and this all cliche stuff, you know, right now the startup world and the personal growth and help world. But at the time in 2011 and to 2013, 14, um, it wasn't really that big, you know, but all the new entrepreneurs and the, and the struggle and everything that you find is like, find ways to make impact that you can learn or leverage from early and then carry into the future. Like if you do something and it has an expiration on it, that all that is wasted. Right. So the relationships, talking with people, sharing your ideas early and execution. I mean, any one of those, either of those two ideas or the podcast that I've worked on in the past, lack of execution is really where the failure is. And, and to be specific on the execution side of things, what do you mean lack, lack of execution? Like lack of execution personally, lack of execution with, uh, with the design, with the functionality, like, or, well, or all of it? Well, all of it and, and follow through. Right. Like both of those, you just kind of get discouraged. You take your lumps and you basically pack it in and quit. The only time you ever see a real failure is basically in that aspect. Now I can take pieces of those failures and move those forward into my next venture, my next project. But those were like legitimate failures. We didn't continue. Like we closed those down and just they're dead. Like they'll never be resurrected one way or another. So the execution aspect of it is if you're really passionate about it or if you really want it to work, even if you're not passionate about it, but you know that this is what you're supposed to do, keep doing it, keep grinding on it, put in the, put in the effort to keep working on it, regardless of how discouraged you get, and, and you'll come out on the other end way better. I am so thankful for Ross taking the time to sit down with me and share this story. It's not one that's often told. And people that are happy to talk about failure, they're usually on the other side of success. Now, that's not to say that Ross isn't successful. I just, well, you guys get what I mean. So since I've recorded this podcast about a year ago, I reached out to Ross for an update on what he's been up to these days. He said things are going well and he's staying plenty busy, but he is up to something that he's been working on. It's called Tactful Cloud and it utilizes all the skills that Ross has been developing over the years. You can check it out at tactful.cloud, that's T-A-C-T-F-U-L dot C-L-O-U-D, tactful.cloud. I'll make sure to put a link up in the show notes. So that's officially it for season two. No more bonus episodes are coming until season three, where the podcast is going to go undergo a complete revamp. So stay tuned for that. But hey, I've got one final ask. As I prepare for season three, would you drop me a line and let me know uh, who you guys want to have on the podcast? Maybe it's you, uh, maybe somebody else that you know that has a, a cool and compelling startup story. And also any suggestion or thoughts on the podcast, I really appreciate it. You can reach me on Facebook. Uh, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, And if you want to send me an email, just shoot me up at uh, joshua.sopco at gmail.com. All right, guys, we will see you in the fall.